to another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today's film was the 1980 movie Prom Night, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, and uh, just coming off fresh off of Halloween, in fact, and uh, Leslie Nielsen, who, even though he's uh, one of the top build in here, doesn't get a lot of screen time, does he? No, I noticed that. You know, I didn't even realize that he was in the movie until the credits, the opening credits started rolling. Um, And then, uh, yeah, he wasn't really given a whole lot to do. In fact, you know, I'm sure we'll get to this eventually, but it almost kind of seems like he disappears about two thirds of the way through the movie. uh, And uh, you don't really see much of him after that. Yeah, it's like he kind of quit or he had something better to do. <laughs> he right. <wrote> him out. <laughs> um, I want to go do Naked Gun or something funnier. <laughs> well, you know, the movie starts out like a sort of like an after school special, I thought. I don't know how you felt about it. <laughs> I felt the exact same way. It felt like uh, it, it felt low budget um, and, and not so much in the cinematography. I mean, I guess a little bit, um, but uh, even just the opening credits, they, they were really basic, really simple. It seemed like um, something that you would have seen at the beginning of a made for TV, a TV movie or like you said, an after school special. Yeah, I totally felt the same way. <laughs> it's a bunch of kids. And my gosh, there are a ton of characters in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and we really don't even know who the kids are. They're kind of calling each other names here, but we later find out there's Jude, who's a girl. There's Kelly, uh, Nick, and Wendy. It opens up. It's showing this um, – it, I couldn't really figure out what it was. You know, I, I read – I think I, it said on Wikipedia it was supposed to be like an abandoned convent. It really doesn't matter. It's just this old abandoned building where those four kids that you mentioned, Jude, Kelly, Nick, and Wendy, are playing this game – that seems to be called killers or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, not it, an it, obvious it, way to start it, the movie at all. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it seemed very, it seemed like the basic premise was like ghosts in the graveyard or, or something like that. that You played when you were a kid where it's basically hide and seek where one person's it. And then they go around looking for the other people. And, and when they find somebody, then the person that they found teams up with them and they continue until everybody's found. I mean, that's basically what it seemed like. Um, which, you know, is a game that I think all of us played when we were kids, but these kids are just really into it. And it's really, it, it feels really malicious. Um, like they're, they're shouting out killers are coming and the killer is going to get you. And I, I guess the, the person who's it is the killer. Um, but they're really playing it for, you know, the dark, uh, aspect of it in this opening thing. It didn't really seem like a fun game. <laughs> it no, seemed it like kind of a mean game. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what kind of made it weird. Um, I don't know. It was like they were trying too hard to be super sinister about it when these are supposed to just be kids playing. Um, they right. all seem to hate each other or something when they're running around right. playing this. Like, um, well, and they just kind of seem like evil kids, like mean kids. And and then you've got um, three other kids come walking down the street, and we don't know this, of course, now, but these are all uh, siblings. You've got um, Kim, who is the older sister, I believe, uh, and, and their last name is Hammond. You've got Kim, um, Robin, and Alex, and Alex is uh, the brother. And, and Robin and Alex seem to be a little bit younger than Kim. And they hear um, the kids playing inside, um, but uh, Kim, the older one, forgot her book, like one of her school books at school. So she has to go back, and um, the brother, Alex, doesn't want 
to go in there and play the game. He says, you know, they don't want to play with us or whatever. Um, but it seems like uh, Robin does. And so she goes in there um, and kind of inadvertently uh, gets sucked into their game. And that's kind of what triggers the event that then, you know, spurs the whole rest of the film. Yeah, it's really weird because she kind of goes in to start playing, but it's not like she announces she's there or she just kind of starts walking around and I guess they figure out she's there and hiding and so uh, they make her part of the game, but of course they are all caught and so they're wandering around looking for her yelling, killers, 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 and they just gang up on her. Uh, uh-huh. And it's it's crazy they, they they just gang up on her and they're yelling killers 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 but once they find her the game should be over but it's not <laughs> right <laughs> well it seems really mean spirited and you know like they back her into a corner and you know i mean if they're playing they should be laughing now you know i'm sure this is you know a directorial choice i'm sure these kids were told what to do and they were told to be really mean and threatening um but it was just kind of off putting and it made me dislike those kids. And so I knew, you know, that eventually we were going to flash forward. And I'm like, I hope I'm not supposed to sympathize with these characters because I don't like they yeah. were mean <laughs> asshole kids. <clears throat> and, and I don't know what their end game was like, were they just going to back her into a corner and just keep her there all day? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> well, they end up upstairs uh, and uh, they back her up against a window, which, you know, it's just something you see coming from a mile away. And, um, yeah. mm-hmm. and she's so scared. She's back up and backing up and doesn't realize and she falls out the window to her death below um the window breaks and she falls on kind of the broken window and uh we assume dies now that's what they assume too and that's what's really funny about this is nobody goes down to see if she's okay Um, exactly they all just uh imagine that she's dead and so uh, I believe it's Kelly. Is it? Oh no, it's Wendy. Uh, is the one in the group yeah. who says we can't go get help. Um, we all have to just agree that this never happened. That we were never here. And they all make this uh, pact essentially. And they all take right. off on their bikes. And then the camera kind of pans in slowly to uh, Robin, who's dead there on the ground. Mm-hmm. And as it goes in on her face, you see a shadow cross it. Like there's another person there who can see it, who is witnessing right. what happened. No, it's just so, so right away. I mean, you, you know, I mean, even if you hadn't read the little blurb on the video box or on IMDb or whatever, you can tell what kind of movie this is going to be. Um, you know, it's very much, it seems very much like a precursor to something like I Know What You Did Last Summer, um, one of those revenge-type movies where, okay, you know, these kids all have this secret in their past they're trying to hide, and it's going to come around, you know, uh, to get them in the end. Um, and that's exactly what it is. And, and frankly, you know, I watched this yesterday um, during the day, and as I was watching it, I'm like, this is fine. You know, it, it, it takes, <sighs> after that, it jumps to what, like six years later? Yes. Um, and uh, we, you know, we get some kind of sloppy exposition where we just kind of hear in voiceover that um, there was a suspect and, you know, it was a guy who had, you know, been like a sex offender in the past and he lived near that abandoned building. So they assumed it was him. And um, when they tried to pursue him, he tried to uh, get away and like in a car chase and, um, he was uh, he was in an accident and he was badly burned and so he's been hospitalized and institutionalized ever since then. But it was presumed 
that he was guilty. And, and it's just really, it just seems really clunky. Yeah. Um, we, when we cut into, you know, the six years later, we, we find out that um, uh, Leslie Nielsen's character, his name is just Mr. Hammond. Um, it, you know, he was the father uh, of this girl who died. And, and of course, now we've got the grown children, um, all of them, but really, you know, we've got uh, Kim, um, who is the older sister and who is now being played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and so it, and really from that point on, there's about, I would say 30, 40 minutes of silly high school drama and then people start getting killed and that's pretty much it. (laughs) Oh gosh. I think it's longer than that. And that's one thing that kind of was like, the movie's kind of boring. Don't you think? I mean, yeah. You know, as like I said, like when I was watching it yesterday, I'm like, you know, this is pretty standard slasher fair. You know, you've got, um, right away again, we're reintroduced to all these characters and, and it basically seems like, um, all of the kids have grown up and are doing okay. Like, um, Mrs. Hammond, the mother is not doing particularly well, but the siblings, Kim and Alex, they seem okay. And you know, they're, this is the anniversary now of her death. It's six years later. And, um, all of the other kids who have grown up seem fine and they're all kind of friends. Um, except for Wendy, Wendy was the one who said, no, we can't tell. And now she's grown up and she's turned into the high school bitch. And, um, it seems like she and Kim are kind of rivals and, um, their rivals over Nick. Uh, and then it's just, it's a lot of really kind of silly high school drama with, you know, fighting over boys and what are we going to wear to the dance? And am I going to get invited to the dance? And missed you on the bus today. I didn't ride it. No kidding. Mm -hmm. I got to ride it. Who with? None of your business. Who with? A guy. Mm -hmm. A guy, huh? Who with, Jude? I'm going to the Now I know why Kim won't go out with me. She likes girls. It's better than kissing an ashtray. Say goodbye, Lou. Goodbye, Lou. <laughs> hey, listen. You guys ever get tired of each other? I'm always around, know what I mean? Oh, really? Um, it, it just seems like the it, they were really, really thin on plot, and so they were just trying to flesh it all out. Um, and I read, you know, I, like I said before, there is that the mention of this guy, Merch, uh, who was the guy who was suspected of killing this girl. His the whole subplot with Merch and the the police are looking for him throughout the whole movie. Like they find out that he's escaped from where he was unexplainably because he's been catatonic ever since then. But he's escaped now. He kidnapped a nurse and stole her car, and so they're looking for him. And um, they're checking out the old building, and they find the nurse there. And um, you see the car driving around every once in a while, and it ends up all being entirely inconsequential. Like it's just a huge red herring that has absolutely no payoff whatsoever. Um, and I found out at, you know, having read more about it after I watched the movie that all of that was added in late in production. Like, I don't know if they just didn't have enough content. They had to put something else in if they, if there was not enough intrigue or mystery, cause there's really not a lot of other hints as to who the killer might be, except for that. Obviously, you know, they're seeking revenge for this incident because the only people who are being targeted 
seemingly are these four kids who are involved, which also takes away some of the tension because you don't really feel like anybody else is in any kind of imminent danger. It's only those four kids who you don't really care about anyway, because then there's this other huge cast of characters who you don't can't even keep track of. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you can't tell, I ended up, you know, I, I sat through the whole thing. I watched the whole thing. And then thinking about it later last evening and even more so today, I'm like, you know, this movie was pretty dumb. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't really think I cared for it very much at all. Well, it's so heavily plotted that it just, there's no characterization. It's, it's more interested in what's happening, like you said, the silly high school drama and stuff like that, than us really getting to know or care about these people. And it's almost like right. the writing is a little too economical. You get these really brief scenes where just you get a small little bit of important information that's delivered to you on a platter, and then boom, there's another little brief scene where there's a small little bit of information delivered to you on a platter. I mean, even when we fast forward into the future, you've got Leslie Nielsen and the whole family standing around the grave. Oh, okay, so we understand this is Rob and the, st- the family's still broken right. up about this. The mother doesn't like it. Boom. Then we go to school, and they're having this you know, silly dialogue. Um, and the, the first thing out of their mouths is, oh, there's that creepy Mr. Sykes. You know, oh, yeah. don't worry, Mr. Sykes is fine. And, and, and of course, there's Mr. Sykes, who's who's holding an implement of, of uh, you know, cutting. Uh, he's, like, carving the bushes and looks on at them, like, really, really creepy. Like, okay, here's our first possibility for the killer we know is coming up is Mr. Sykes. Well, yeah, and, and such a stock character and oh, one yeah. that would be read as being totally offensive today you know like they play it like he's slow like he's impaired and um you know people could get away with that in the 80s but it's totally not pc now and so it it just it seems even understanding that within the context of its history that was something that we unfortunately you know were okay with at the time it just seems a little bit distasteful like it's it's off-putting and uh, it's just another Ding against the movie, I think, overall. Well, and it's just so obviously thrown in there that the your first thing is like, oh, here's our first possibility. Check him off the list. <laughs> right. <laughs> because he's, right. there's no way, shape, or form he's going to be the mysterious killer. And then we get these phone right. calls, which is uh, reminded me a lot of Black Christmas. Uh, Black where, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And actually, a lot of this movie seemed like it was trying really hard to cop some of the style of Black Christmas, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. I agree pacing and i'll have to say that they have the same composer <laughs> oh there you go the same musical composer well maybe that's a little bit of it i mean the director the, <laughs> the director the cinematographer they can't really hold a candle to um bob clark i just i just love oh, no, bob no, clark. No. he's got a style all his own but they're trying really hard to make it i i hate to say art house but maybe art house like these elements where it cuts away from the high school drama and we focus a little more on this mysterious killer or they do flashbacks. They're a little creative, but they feel like they're in the wrong movie, you know? Uh, Yeah. And I, I and I just didn't feel like they were executed very well. Like I, I understood what they were trying to do that, you know, they were cutting back and forth, you know, when, one of our characters, our, our now you know teenage characters, is having memories of of what happened and maybe is, are feeling guilt or or something. And we get these really quick flashbacks to the scenes that we had seen in the beginning. And I you know I, I got what the, the the connection that they were trying to make. It just didn't seem well done. I mean, yeah. it just it, it felt it felt kind of amateur, and and I didn't think they succeeded. 
Yeah, we get these phone calls to each of the kids, and you know, you get these shots of the phone and the phone cord, and of course the killer talking, and he says something sinister to every one of them, and every one of them who answers the phone just writes it off as um, some you know sick person who's crank call, crank call, heavy breather or whatever, and he's saying you know these things like, "Do you still like to play games?" Right, right, And, and. and crosses them each off the list. And like you said, it, it kind of works against the movie because you know, okay, well, this guy's targeting these people. Nobody else is really going to be in danger. It takes a little bit of that suspense out of it. And it also takes the motivation question out of it. Um, and it's just clunky. It's not very well done. And then, Mm-mm. again, like you said, that subplot is inserted in there so clunkily too. And it just so turns out that um, whose dad is it? Who is the police officer? It's uh, Nick's dad. Nick's dad, McBride. <laughs> Lieutenant McBride, right. And he just calls in the doctor who worked on the, the case of this schizophrenic man who they had thought had killed Robin many years ago. And the doctor walks in the office and is like, Look, I'm on a tight schedule. I hope this is an emergency, Sergeant. Lieutenant. I was promoted last year. Great. Congratulations. What's the problem? Leonard Murch. Just came over the wire. Last night, Murch escaped from the state hospital in Cleveland. He took a nurse and her car with him. The authorities in Cleveland say he's violent. I don't see how I can help. I haven't even seen Leonard since he was institutionalized. But you know him. Knew him. Knew him. Past it. You think he'd head back here? I don't know. Well, come on. Even a guess will help. Lieutenant, you're asking me to comment on a catatonic schizophrenic who was disfigured and institutionalized six years ago. (laughs) Right. Who knows where he would go? (laughs) It's so clunky. It is... It's so to the point. Like I said, it's it's just so economical. It's so bold on its face. Um, Everything's just... Well, and those... That subplot is never tied in to the main plot. I mean, like it's 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 ancillary. Like you know that they're related, but the lieutenant never, aside from being Nick's dad, he never has anything to do with the other kids. In fact, eventually, when we actually get to the prom, the lieutenant goes and is like guarding the prom and waiting to see if this guy will show up for no apparent reason. Yeah. Why would they think that he might show up there? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't. Um, and as it turns out, it, it's completely inconsequential. It, You could completely remove all of those scenes. In fact, you could remove any mention of that guy. You could remove that lieutenant entirely, and it would have absolutely no impact on the plot of the movie. Oh, yeah. If you did, then the body count is zero for the first entire hour. I mean, if you don't count the flashback. For for the The first hour of the film, uh, the body count is zero. And and that's why, I mean, it gets pretty boring because it's just these characters being somewhat stalked. Even though they're not really being stalked, because mm-hmm. the if if you don't have the information that the audience does, nobody has anything to worry about, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> There's like a picture torn out of a yearbook that it will appear uh, occasionally appear in um, each of their lockers that they find. And there's a point in there where Jamie Lee Curtis's character Kim um, is showering and and with with somebody else and a mirror breaks you know somebody's obviously thrown something at the mirror in the girl's changing room um, but then they go out and they don't find anything 
and then they come back in and they well, find and, and, and they kind of think they kind of think those things are weird, but they don't have any reason to suspect that there would be somebody after them. Yes, like, exactly. it, I mean, except for maybe those, except for I guess the phone calls. But like you said, they totally write those off. Um, and again, you know, you get those phone calls early on, and then there's no follow up with that either. Like, you would expect this guy to keep calling or keep contacting them in some way, tormenting them in some way, but he doesn't. It's like they're just kind of cutting and pasting these different slasher, you know, elements all into one movie and they just, it just feels disjointed. Oh yeah. And the scenes themselves are so awkwardly staged. I mean, they're awkwardly staged. Uh, every single time uh, you would cut to the kids giving some little bit of information about their high school drama, you would be walking down a hallway kind of really slowly in kind of an odd way, just so that the camera could film them in a certain way. Uh, it, it just, all of it, there was just an air of unnaturalness, like, hey, we're, we're putting a movie together about the way that those things were staged. Um, yeah, and there were so many things like that that just seemed completely unnatural. Like, Jamie Lee Curtis would be walking around in her school, and the school is completely empty of any other person. Like, when is Why? this supposed to be? Is this supposed to be during the school day? Like, does she just hang out there during the day on weekends? Like, I don't even understand what's happening. Um, there's a, a chase scene later on in the movie where it's during the prom and one of the girls um, is getting chased around and she's running all over the school on prom night and there are no other people anywhere around. I'm like, what is happening? I know, and she's not running. Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis and her friend are in the in the locker room, and it's just the two of them. Like, was this your private gym class? Like, I don't even. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> oh, I like that part too, where they uh, open up the, the, you know, the the wind, the mirror breaks, and so they go out to investigate, and then they open up the door that leads straight to the outside, and the, the I don't know if you caught this, but the sign on the on there says "Girls Change Room." <laughs> Which, which is really brilliant, you know, to have your school, to have an exterior door, and then to have a sign on that exterior door that announces that it's the girls' changing room. <laughs> and then the sign below it says, visitors are requested to report to the office. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. I don't know, man. I, I don't know if that was just an oversight or if that was intentionally humorous, but I got a big kick out of that. There's a ridiculous no, I... scene, that ridiculous scene with Nick and Kim by the ocean. When they're just walking. Yeah. <laughs> is this supposed to be near Very the... after school special. Is this supposed to be near the school or something? Because... They're... It has to be near the school. They're, it's like along a beach, but it's like on a cliff. Like they, they call it the bluffs <laughs> or whatever. It's got to be near the school um, because something else happens there later on prom night. Oh, um, that's right. But yeah, I mean, it's so melodramatic. You know, they're melodramatically walking along these cliffs. The waves are crashing and it's... I love you. I love you too. I want you to know Robin's death. I remember it. I've always been really sorry about it. I mean, I know what you're feeling. I... Listen, Kim. I, uh... I gotta go. Yeah. 
See you later. There's a lot of that in this movie. I love us particularly. I love Wendy and how they make her out to be such a bitch, and they show us her home life, which they show in maybe like three different shots. And every single uh-huh. time, Wendy is like either getting ready for school or getting ready for a date or getting ready for the prom. And just as the doorbell rings or just as she's getting ready to head out the door, this older woman pops into the frame who at first I thought, what, is it her mother? But she's too old to be her mother. Maybe it's like her grandmother, but she's just dressed up in an apron. And like her sole purpose for popping in is just to look aghast at what Wendy's doing or all <laughs> right. oh, that crazy kid kind of look on her face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just to show that, you know, Wendy rules the roost at her house, like she can do whatever she wants because she's a bad girl. And, you know, that I thought it was her mom. I don't know. You're right. She did look way too old to be her mom, but she says something like, Are you going to be home for dinner? And Wendy's like, How should I know? And just walks out. Wendy like, walks out and she she's just, just looks so at rude. She's smoking <laughs> in the house, like putting her cigarettes in the ashtray, not even putting them out. The old lady has to come and put her cigarettes out for her. <clears throat> So silly. And there are so many things like that. Like I said, it's just all this silly high school drama. And we're semi-introduced to all these characters. Like, of course, there's the four main kids who were involved in the accident. And then there's um, Jamie Lee Curtis and her brother. But then Jamie Lee Curtis has, like, a group of other friends who are just kind of with her all the time that I never caught their names. I, like, they're really unimportant. Um, There's uh, this jerky buffoon type of guy. I don't remember. Lou, like, who smokes and fights, and he's after Kim. And and it's, you know, you just wonder why are they giving us all of these characters when they're completely inconsequential really. And we don't even care about the central characters that we have, or like, I don't feel like I know anything about them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a mess. really. It is a mess. And it's funny. Cause they're not even stock central characters. Like aside from Wendy, who is the bitch girl, the rest of them are all like blend together. Like, it's not like, mm-hmm. except for, I don't know, maybe, like Jude is the girl who just happens to not be able to get a date to the prom until right. that Seymour guy day comes of. up and, and is like, hey. Hey, beautiful need a lift? No, thanks. Come on, I won't bite. So who are you? Seymour Crane. But, uh, they, they uh, call me Slick. <laughs> I can see why. How old are you, Slick? Old enough. I've heard about guys like you running over girls on the sidewalk. To some girls, if they're uh, if they're good looking, I uh, I give them a ride. Like like Kelly is the one who is is you know thinking about losing her virginity, and she's got kind of this jerky boyfriend who uh, is pressuring her to do it on prom night or whatever. And it's just seriously, it's it's you know I work in a high school, and there's not as much drama as they try to establish in this hour and a half. I mean, it's and it's just you don't care who cares yeah. we don't care if kelly's gonna have sex with this guy we don't care that jude has finally gotten a date nobody cares let's get to the action <laughs> but we don't we don't get to anything for like an hour into it um right you know it, it, but but we do find out that uh kim is going to be crowned queen of the prom along with nick the king of the prom and this must be like the most important thing 
uh, in their lives. The king and queen, the way that they talk about them, must have these incredible duties um, and standards that they have to uphold to. Because she even makes silly, there's silly lines in there like, well, I need to hold it together. That's what the queen of the prom needs to do. <laughs> Something right, like that. right. I think during that scene where they're talking at the... Uh, on the bluffs. On yeah. the bluffs. And there's a nurse there, not a nurse, um, the PE teacher, female PE teacher who makes them rehearse through the process of accepting um, the thing. And you know something's going to happen here. And even at one point, it really, it's it's kind of like it's copying from a lot of these different movies. Like we mentioned Black Christmas and uh, there's shades of Carrie in here as well. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Something's going to happen at the prom. Right. Because Kim, right. Kim is, um, well, excuse me, Wendy and Kim, like I said before, are kind of rivals. They both want Nick. Apparently, Wendy and Nick used to be together, but they're not anymore. And now Kim's with Nick, and Wendy doesn't like it. So when Wendy can't convince Nick to come back to her and go to the prom with her, she hooks up with that big doofus, Lou. And uh, you, we don't know what their plan is, but we know that they're conspiring something to happen at the prom. And it does feel very much like Carrie. I mean, it could be that exactly, uh, for all we know. But all we know is that something is going to go down uh, at the prom prom um and it's it's you know when they finally get to the prom or prom night at least i'm like thank god can we just yeah what what's gonna happen come on well and then they just start getting picked off one by one in really not very creative or interesting ways too well i love i love the silly like really opaque moment when um uh when nick goes to pick up kim for the prom and Mm -hmm. We we get this shot of Kim obviously dressing, and her brother is there, and they're trying to have they're having this like awkward brother sister dialogue back and forth, which really just seems to establish, hey, we're still brother and sister, or hey, don't forget we're still brother and sister. She says something right. about, hey, can you help me put on my necklace? And he says, I don't know, I am your brother, and right, <laughs> there's a lot of that. And then we get a shot back to Nick downstairs, and he's just staring at the picture of Robin on the mantle. Right. And you're thinking, Oh, is he going to, he's still feeling guilty. Like we really need to know this now. And he turns mm-hmm. around when Kim comes down the stairs. Oh, you look beautiful. And they go together. And as they're walking out, he turns and makes one long, almost spooky look at the picture of Robin on the mantle again. Like how long has he been dating this girl? You know, <laughs> how long? I have no idea. And- <laughs> And it's been six years, you know, it's been six years and he's just now feeling guilty. And like, it it felt like the filmmakers were trying to force you, like, here's how you're going to feel. This guy feels guilty. So you're going to have sympathy for him and you're not going to want him to get killed. You're not going to really care if the other ones get killed because somebody has to get killed, but you're not going to want, you're going to root for him. You're going to root for him and Kim. And okay. (laughs) Sure. If you say so. (laughs) So the first death is at the prom, and it's in, I guess, the locker room where they're mm-hmm. making it, where it's um, it's Kelly and Drew um, who are making out. And maybe the the best thing I could say about this movie is that the uh, teenage first time sex scene was appropriately awkward, I, and I just think it was right. just so poorly staged that it came so close to the reality of awkward teenage sex. <laughs> But yeah, it, again, it's this, it's what you it's exactly what you would have expected. Suddenly, she doesn't want to go through with it, and he immediately turns on her and says, "Well, I," and just just very bluntly says, "Well, I know many other women who would." <laughs> like, right? <laughs> if he's been working her this long, which is what she gives us the impression, 
uh, that right. he's been coercing and coercing her this long, then he really gives up pretty quickly right there at the end. Uh-huh. He lays all his cards on the table. He walks out. And yeah, we get this death scene that's not even that great. It's it's really it's there's this low kind of slow motion very dark shot of some feet walking across what actually looks to be like a carpet. It doesn't even look like the floor of the room at all, the locker room. And then you find out later that it's because they reuse the same shot like three more times. <laughs> Every time the killer is walking towards somebody, no matter what room it's in, it's the same shot of his feet walking across the same floor. Except here, because the lights are out, they've darkened it up a bit and made it slow motion. Um, and he comes up from behind and grabs her head and slices her neck with, I guess it's the same shard of glass that um, came off of the mirror. And it seems like, oh, we're trying to establish this connection to that past death where uh, Robin had fallen out of the window right. and was cut apart by glass. Even the poster, the prom night poster, has a a picture of a masked killer with a big shard of glass there and one of his victims kind of reflected in it. But correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we see that as a murder weapon ever again from here on out. I don't think so. I think it. I think it's at some point somewhere the killer gets an axe and is chasing the rest of them around with an axe for the most part. Yeah. Um, or maybe even a knife too. I don't remember. Um, but I mean, and I don't remember because it's not memorable, you know, like the, the killer is just dressed in all black with a black ski mask on. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing to indicate who it may or may not be other than you kind of get to see, you know, the size of this person. It doesn't seem to be, you know, we're not talking about like a, a Jason Voorhees who's like this looming big presence. It's, you know, it just looks like somebody in black clothes, you know. So it's, it's, it's totally not memorable. And you get that scene and then – go ahead. I was going to say some skinny sort of athletic person, you know, running around. And right. I, I guess it just rules out almost everybody right from the beginning because, I don't know, at some point I feel like we're supposed to suspect Lou, sort of that dumb oaf that's conspiring with Wendy because they were talking about, you know, you need to – she needs to pay and but don't hurt her. And we had earlier seen Lou in a ski mask. Uh, there was right, this right. confrontation in um, the cafeteria. But – once again, Lou is like big and chunky guy. Uh, he's clearly not going to be him, and it would well, right? And that's sense. so blatant. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't even make sense the way that it's staged. I feel like there's even a scream moment in there where, um, you know, that Lou comes in late after we see a, you know, a killing, and he's kind of out of breath and he's saying something cryptic, and you're supposed to, I guess, supposed to think that it's him, but it never crosses your mind. No, it never crossed my mind that it was him because, first of all, I mean, you can tell that the person who it is 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 a completely different physique, and Lou is such a stupid idiot character. Like, you, he would never be able to do anything that required any kind of skill or planning. Yeah, that's um, true. So, so anyway, there's that death, uh, and then um, it switches back to the prom, which this is <laughs> this is where the budget of the movie I think like really shows because I never feel like this is actually a prom and not some set that they're trying to make look like the prom because. Yeah, some shots are are of just a few people in the corner, and the lighting seems totally different. And then you get a shot of the stage, which is like total disco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, disco floor. It's perfect. And well, the theme of the prom is disco madness. Yeah, and that's so unfortunate. <laughs> it works against the movie in retrospect. 
Well, right. I mean, it certainly dates it. Um, but I was going to say, if there are any redeeming qualities uh, to this movie, anytime you get a Jamie Lee Curtis uh, disco dance break, you know, I mean, that's something. <laughs> I'm glad I saw the movie, if not just for that clip. But I, if you haven't seen the movie and uh, it doesn't sound all that appealing to you, I'm sure you can find that clip on uh, on YouTube. And if so, that's really all you need to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. You could almost miss that, too. I mean, it's terrible dancing. It's poorly filmed. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and it goes And they've on got the me. classic shot where, like, the... the she and and uh, Nick are holding hands and spinning, and you're seeing it from each of their perspectives. So it's the spinning shot. Oh, I loved it. That made me smile. Well, and it never comes to like a climax because after their little spinning shot and everything, you expect they're going to do some pose or everyone's going to start clapping, but just everybody just kind of moves on to the dance floor and starts dancing with them all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It's not like a dance sequence that has a, a proper ending uh, that we're supposed to. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't. It, it was no Romy Michelle's high school reunion. Let's put it that way. Oh no, I, it was goofy. I'm being sarcastic. It was really goofy, but it was funny. I mean, it, I laughed because it was so goofy. Oh, and we got the disco prom night theme song, which apparently I read. Yes, the soundtrack to this movie is like a thing, even though it never really was a thing. Um, yeah, I read about the soundtrack. Uh, initially, um, they had filmed everything using uh, contemporary disco music, you know, like stuff with Donna Summer and stuff that um, that uh, you know would have been very recognizable and popular at the time. But I don't know how they overlooked this, but apparently to get the rights to those songs was way, way out of the production budget. And so they had the uh, musical composer uh, rewrite songs, but really all he did was just copy those songs. And and if you listen to the music in the background, it's super familiar. I mean, you can totally tell what songs he was copying. Um, And I guess they got sued uh, for copyright and ended up settling out of court. I don't remember what they had to pay, but they did have to pay out on it something for for copyright infringement there's but but of course we have a theme song called prom night right the disco dance (laughs) sequence gets gives gives us an opportunity at least to hear that for a very long time oh and it's pretty funny it's like prom night everything is all right like it's it's just so it's uh it's corny Uh, and you know i i can see this film actually did pretty well um in its initial release i guess um it was canada's highest rated or or or, uh, highest earning uh horror film of that year of 1980 um and i guess that it did really well in the drive-in circuit which i can see you know you go to a drive-in you're a young kid going to a drive-in in this day and age. You're really probably not going so much for the movie as for the experience. And so um, just to have something kind of schlocky on in the background when you're hanging out with your friends or your girlfriend or whatever, um, I could see how it would work. But beyond that, um, I don't really see where the appeal lies. Oh, yeah, something that you don't need to pay attention to, that you could pop in at any moment and you haven't missed a thing. <laughs> right. That's kind of this movie. You could go in and out of this film and it really doesn't matter. No. So then, of course, uh, you get another shot of Jude and the Seymour guy who are at the van, in their van. They're having sex, um, and it's her first time as well. And I guess they're out at the bluffs, and there's this shot of what is obviously the killer's point of view kind of coming close to the van and sweeping around to the back window. Then we get shot on the inside, more of this inane dialogue, I feel, between these two characters. They decide that they're going to 
step out and they walk across to have sex on the ground out by the bluffs. And there's this long, and this is again a point where I feel like the movie tries to be artistic, but it just is so poorly executed and it just can't do anything within the confines of this script and this acting and these lines. Mm-hmm. Where there's this sweeping shot that kind of follows them from from the perspective of through the trees, and it's like all one take. And they go and they lay down. They lay down a blanket for about five seconds, and for some reason decide, no, we're just going to go back to the van again. <laughs> and so then they walk another right. 12 feet back to the van and go into the van. And then we're treated – so this scene went absolutely nowhere – and then we're treated again to the same shot of, from the killer's perspective, swooping around the van to the back. It's so distracting. It's like they got no coverage. But I've never seen a movie like this reuse so many shots so close together as this movie does. It's so mm-hmm. weird. They die. She dies. And he dies too right. because we get our our huge stunt sequence where he jumps or his reaction by the way to the back doors opening her falling out the back and getting axed by this murderer is to immediately run to the front start the car and try to take off but mm-hmm. instead all he does is spin circles while the killer tries to get into the cab and is hanging out the door i, I felt like this was supposed to be our big you know stunt number our big kind of chase scene but it ended up just looking really dumb. And, of course, uh-huh. drives off the bluff. And almost before... Which you see coming a mile away. Oh, of course. And if almost before the van even hits anything, it explodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then here is another place where it just seems like the writing is so muddy. Like, the killer, you assume that their motive is, you know, revenge for this accident or whatever. But there would be no motive to kill this dorky little Seymour guy. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, but he does anyway. Um, And yeah, I guess it's for the action shot, you know, the exploding van going off the cliff, which is apparently right outside the high school, but nobody notices, you know, this huge (laughs) explosion right outside the prom. Well, It's just... uh, there's there's no sense in it, it's almost nonsensical to even criticize it because it's it's so silly. And then right after that, we're back in the school and Wendy's just like in the bathroom, like putting on makeup or something, and the lights go out and she's like, "What's going on?" And then she gets chased through the school for what had to have been ten minutes, like oh. it was so long. And I thought, "Oh my god, just catch her and kill her already." <laughs> it's. It's so bad, and again, as you said earlier, she's w- running through this suddenly completely empty school. She's running to all of the places that are completely empty. I mean, there is a prom going on over here. You have right. plenty of opportunity to run to where all the people are, but you don't, and you don't scream. It's so quiet, and it feels like this sequence to me was a guy sitting down with a whole bunch of shots in mind, like... I want a shot where um, the victim raises her head about halfway up from behind the table, and we just see her eyes right. looking back and forth, and they're reflected in the shiny surface of the table. And I want a shot of the killer stepping into frame with an axe that's between his legs. It's it's like there are some really great shots in this sequence, but they do nothing for the sequence because they're just no. And she just she just keeps running from one place to the next and hiding like. 
okay, I'll run and hide here for 30 seconds until the killer shows up. And then, ah, there he is. Now I'll run somewhere else and hide there for 30 seconds. Ah, here he is again. Like, ugh, it's just, come on, get on with it. Yeah. Uh, and and this- so eventually they do. Eventually uh, she ends up in a closet. And it, like, and this happens several times too. Like the killer kind of is looking where she is, but then he's going away. But then she makes a noise. Like that happens like three times. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally on the last one, she ends up in some closet. And I guess that's where the killer had stashed one of the other girls, either Jude or Kelly. I don't remember. It doesn't make any difference. Um, but she sees the blood dripping and she sees the body and she screams. And so the killer comes back and kills her. Um, and so then all we've got left is, um, of the four original kids is Nick. Um, and that's when it comes time for the prom king and queen coronation. And, um, they've rehearsed this before, so they know what they're supposed to do. Um, but, uh, of course, remember we have to lose, got this plan or whatever. So when, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, my kid Kim and Nick go backstage and take their positions, lose goons, grab Nick and knock him out and they take his jacket off and Lou puts on the jacket and the crown like he's going to go out there and accept prom king or, or whatever and that's going to be their big prank Hardy Har. Hardy Har, <clears> yeah. <throat> it's not even that cool. But No, lame. <laughs> but of course this killer is not paying attention apparently, just arrives on the scene um, after this is done and uh, comes up behind what he, the killer thinks is Nick and takes an axe to his head and a loose head rolls down the center of the stage um, in front of everybody at the prom. And uh, that that's a neat idea, I think. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everybody runs out screaming. And uh, then there's a chase sequence between the killer and, uh, I guess... Jamie Lee, Nick is that even and what Kim. happens? And Kim. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, she she goes back. I guess Nick has kind of woken up like he was knocked out or whatever. She goes back to get him. Meanwhile, everybody else has run outside. So it's just the three of them still in there. Um, and it's a t- there's, you know, a fight scene between them. It's completely anticlimactic. You know, the, um, the killer gets knocked down a couple times. Jamie Lee gets knocked down a couple times. Um, Nick gets knocked down a couple times. And uh, at some point, the killer loses his axe. And Jamie Lee goes to get it and she picks it up. And while the killer is like standing over Nick or something, she hits him, but with the blunt side of it. Now, I mean, obviously it causes damage and that would, you know, severely injure somebody, but she doesn't like chop his head off or whatever. And then there's this moment where the killer pauses and he and uh, Kim Jamie Lee Curtis make eye contact and there's obviously some recognition there. Now this is when I thought that I had figured out who it was. I thought that it was going to be her mom yeah. because all throughout the whole movie, um, they had talked about how the mom <clears throat> had never really recuperated. She wasn't taking it well. It was the anniversary. She, you know, she wasn't doing well. She had come to the prom with the dad because the dad just happened to be the principal also. Um, but then like she had disappeared, you know, he said he had to take her to relax somewhere. So she could have easily been doing all these things behind the scene. Uh, And at that point I had it figured out. I thought, um, gosh, Oh, it was going to be another sweet 16 where it's, Mm -hmm. it's the mom taking over, uh, or, or even Friday the 13th, the mom getting revenge. Um, but that's not how it plays out. Um, the killer, Nick and Kim stumble outside where the police are all out there. And I think maybe the killer stumbles out there before them and, 
Um, Jamie Lee says to the cops, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. And she goes, he collapses from the wound on his head, the, the blunt wound on his head. And then um, she kind of holds him in her arms and she takes off the mask to reveal that it was her brother, Alex, uh, all along. I don't know. What did you think about the, uh, reveal? Uh, uh, I didn't care at that point. I mean, I honestly didn't care. I felt exactly the same way you did. I thought it was going to be the mom. And uh, so I was a little surprised at the reveal. And it did make sense that maybe, at, obviously back in the day when Robin died, that the one of the people who would have stumbled across it would have been um, one of the siblings since they had been out there walking. Right. Um, so so it made logical sense. You know, we But again, was he just biding his time until prom night? Like, yeah, it, sixth- it doesn't really make – and we're never given any indication throughout the whole rest of the movie that he's in any way unhinged. You know, like he seems fine and, and his reaction – you know, he, it, he doesn't seem to be particularly mourning or anything. I mean, yeah – I guess logically speaking, it would make sense that if he was if he saw what had really happened, that he would want to get revenge. But there's just there's there's there are so many lame, lame, lame red herrings that when it's finally revealed, it's like really like that's the best you could come up with after all this. Well, it's misguidance. I mean, I mean, it's like you said, it makes logical sense, but there's no foreshadowing, and and we don't even spend much time with him in the movie Mm -mm. he pops in and out almost as much as leslie nielsen which is like for three or four scenes and that's it so yeah it it's just it's just super clunky it it, it feels totally contrived just like the whole movie the whole movie just feels completely contrived um it's kind of a paint by numbers script i think that's derivative of all the movies we've listed and it tries at times to be artistic and kind of give this art house feel, but it's so poorly executed and it's so shoehorned into an otherwise kind of silly movie that it doesn't matter. Right. And I don't know, you know, I've been <laughs> very critical as we've gone, you know, it's, it's a cheesy 80s slasher. You know, there were some ones that lasted, but even the ones that lasted and turned into big franchises, it's not like they were masterpieces of cinema no. when they came out, you know, for, for whatever reason, they found um, a fan base and, and, you know, people ran with it, studios ran with it because they were making money. You know, I think... Um, this film was originally supposed to be distributed by Paramount, um, but uh, they were only going to release it in a handful of theaters and some other more obscure um, company, production company, offered to release it to do a wider release. And so they went with that. Well, Paramount, so then instead went with Friday the 13th, which came out the same year, which, uh, you know, of course, went on to be this huge franchise and still is. Um, so who knows? I mean, it may just be serendipity, you know, had had these people, had the prom night folks gone with uh, Paramount, maybe that would have become the big new franchise. I don't know. I mean, Maybe. personally, I think Friday the 13th is a better movie, um, but we, you know, it's certainly open for criticism too. Um, well, but in the end, it's in the end, you know, going in, I, I love watching these kinds of movies. I like to see as many of them as I could. Just the name of this movie and the fact that um, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it and, you know, she was such a big screen queen of the 80s. I really couldn't believe that I hadn't seen it. And now that I have, I'm like, I could have gone without seeing it. <laughs> like, yeah. It would have been fine. You know, it, it's not enriched my life in any way. Um, 
beyond just being a completist, I guess. No, there's definitely a reason it's been forgotten. And, you know, you make that comparison to the Friday the 13th movies, and you're right, they are better, even though they're not great movies. But I think where they're different is at least they're more interesting to watch. At least there's something going on. There's some genuine suspense happening. There's some genuine unknowns as to who's going to live, who's going to die. And... And even though they're pretty clunky, too, and very thin on characterization, thin on plot, they make up for it by being really good on atmosphere. And again, that suspense, um, where, and whereas this movie just doesn't really have either. Right. And creativity. I mean, you know, there's only so many ways that you can kill a person i suppose but you know even in those early movies you know there was variety in the kills you know there was interest they were shot in interesting ways um and this just wasn't i mean it it just it it almost felt like a made for tv kind of thing and um it it just didn't work for me you know i'm sure that there are people out there who saw it when it came out who have fond memories of seeing it with their friends at the drive-in or you know snuggling up with their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever at the drive-in for kind of just some cheap thrills or whatever and um and and i understand that completely you know there are lots of bad movies that i have really fond memories of um but coming to this now um it just didn't do anything for me unless you're a disco fan right (laughs) you get the disco dance sequence and you get the disco battle at the end yes (laughs) well thank you for listening to another episode of two guys and a chainsaw If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We also have a Facebook page and a Google Plus page. Please like us there, share us there, and start up a conversation. Let us know what you thought of this episode and whatever future episodes you might want us to review. Until then, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. 